I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, a podcast dedicated to all things younger. Today, what happened in Frankfurt will most definitely not stay in Frankfurt because we're about to break last night's episode entitled Fraud Line All the Way Down. Here to help me out are the episode's writer, Don Roos. Hey, Don. Hi. Hello. And director Andy Fleming. Hey, Andy. Hi. Hello. Thank you guys so much for joining me. We've got a lot to unpack about last night's episode. But first, uh, Don, you wrote the season four finale in Ireland. Um, and Andy, you directed the book fair in the Hamptons episode from season three. And last night's episode was in, quote unquote, Frankfurt. So what's the deal with taking younger fans like to different locations? Uh, Don, let's start with you. We always do it. We always uh, get get them out of Manhattan for a while. And it's kind of fun if you you can actually travel there. We didn't travel to Frankfurt. The production itself did not. We kind of faked it in New York. But it's it's exciting to see our characters in different backgrounds and locales and, and cultures, and we try to do that once a year. And Andy, let's go to you. So, like, the fans love when you guys travel. Why is it that fans love a travel episode? Well, it's the fantasy of taking a vacation. Uh, I will say, last year or the year before, when we went to the Hamptons, it was the most fun I've ever had shooting an episode. It was like a vacation in the Hamptons. Uh, this was a little different because it was Frankfurt and we were actually faking it in Manhattan. But we did send a crew to get interstitial shots of Frankfurt and to act as transitions in between the scenes. I've been to Germany a bunch of times, so I've just channeled my inner German and tried to fake that in Manhattan and Long Island. But you guys did a great job, so kudos. Yeah, and I think the characters behave differently when they go to a different environment. I mean, they're a little freer and and more, more things can happen that if you're at home, like when we go on vacation in, in real life, you're just a little different. Well, Diana most definitely stepped out of character in a great way, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. First things first, though, what do you both like most about working on this show? Andy, let's start with you. Uh, it's the most pleasant episodic television show I've ever worked on. And it starts at the top. Darren Starr is just a great guy. And Sutton is the loveliest star. And everybody's happy to be working on the show. And everything happens on time. And it's just really a lot of fun. Don, as a writer, how is it working on the show for you? Is it a dream? Well, to me, it's a vacation. Uh, I get to go to New York for two months. Our writer's room is here in L.A. So we work for the first part of the, of the year here in L.A. And then we all move to New York. And it's great. It's like a vacation. You get away from your husband and your kids and you're in New York. And the writer's room is really as lovely as the set is. Everyone's great. They get along. Like Andy said, it comes from the top. Darren is a, a mensch. And that kind of filters down to everybody. We have a ball. We have a great, great time. We keep in touch when the season is over. And we're really looking forward to getting back to work in November. Well, congrats on season six. So excited about that. Yeah, we are. Also, I'm telling you, this love fest that you guys have, it does translate. I, th I swear it's why the show is just so <laughs> addictive. It's because we can just like feel like like the family vibes that are going on. So thank you. I will say when the cast shows up on set, they usually spend about 10 minutes catching up with each other. And I have to kind of 
cut through and say, okay, I'm going to direct now. It's not a cocktail party. We actually have to shoot a scene. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so now let's get into the actual episode from last night. So last night's episode was set in, like we said, Frankfurt, except that it wasn't. Um, Don, (laughs) is moose knuckle a real word? If so, can you give us a backstory on that scene? I don't know whose idea that was. I'm I'm not going to claim it. But I think we just said, is there a, a male equivalent of camel toe? And then we went to Google Translate and typed in moose knuckle, and then we got elk knuckle. I have no idea if in Germany anyone has ever said elk knuckle. But that, you know, Google is our friend on this show, especially for me, because I'm an older writer. I'm always looking up something. I don't know what the young writers are talking about. So Google helps me a lot. As a writer, and you're writing in like a very millennial voice, what do you think about these crazy millennials? Well, I'm not gonna say anything about it. They're all <laughs> they're all writers in the room. I know. They're, they're very, um, they're great writers. They work really hard. I don't think they're, whatever our perception of millennials is, the writers on this show are a really hardworking, old school kind of people, but they're young. And I'm always, asking what does sorry not sorry mean and what's a meme and i'm basically liza i have no idea what anybody is ever talking about i'm always on my computer trying to pass as someone who's not in their 60s don i'm always asking what a meme is i still even after that episode don't know what a meme is i i learned a lot about it i know salt bay i know a lot of a lot of memes now Okay, so uh, in the episode, Cheryl Sussman, Liza's old nemesis, turns up at the Frankfurt Book Fair as well. So Cheryl is super over the top. So, Don, how much fun is it to get to write for a character like this? It was so much fun. She's so camp and big, and she can really, I don't know, say the most outrageous things, and it's accepted in that world because that's who Cheryl is. It was a delight to write for her. She was so funny. And you know what? Not even the, the lines that she said but watching her on set just do the simplest things like slide her magnetic key card. It was hilarious. We were always laughing. She's incredible. And Andy, what kind of direction do you give to get that mean girl out of Martha? I mean, and also in the show, we don't get a lot of mean girls. You know, we don't have a lot of like evil women. And Martha, her character gets as close to it as possible. So how do you evoke it from her? Uh, you know, Martha Plimpton's won two Tonys, so you just kind of <laughs> let her go. Just be the wind beneath her wings. Uh, encourage her. Tell her to stand here and face this way and, and go for it. And she just delivers. Most of the time, I'm just enjoying her too much to even worry about directing her. You didn't have to give her any acting lessons or anything, Andy? No. No, she's amazing. I think she would have eating me alive. <laughs> is, she, is she as scary as Cheryl in real life? No, she's lovely. But she knows what she wants, and she's not worried about the little things. She just goes for it. She's really great, and I hope she comes back. We've been trying to get her back. We always, every season, try to get her back, but she's so busy. But I she was had a little I, hole in her schedule. I think she had a lot of fun this time, I and know. I think she will come back. She's a great character. She's such a great character. Well, speaking of which, though, so her character, what purpose does she serve in terms of like being the one and only mean girl? I'm going to let Dawn, you go first with that one. It's hard on our show to get antagonists because generally everyone on our show behaves as well as they can, except, you know, Liza's a big liar, but... Everybody is, they really treat people with respect, usually. So it's great to have a character who's, uh, who's out for blood and, and doesn't have the scruples that all of our characters have. That's great. 
It's also good to have another woman Liza's age to talk that generational difference. And Cheryl and Diana both had to really work hard at the time where they were entering the business. So there's a reason for why they are perhaps not as pleasant as the younger kids. They had to to fight to, to get their place. So I like I like seeing that. Andy, how do you feel about it? Early on in the show, I think Diana was the mean girl, but that we've seen over and over these little glimpses of her kindness and humanity. So we don't buy the meanness from her anymore. We know that she's really a softie. So when Cheryl Sussman comes in, she just really rips things apart. And happily, she's in 512 too. So more is coming and it gets weirder. Oh yeah, you're right. She's in 512 and she does a lot of things in 12. Okay, so Cheryl and Diana talk about, speaking of the two of them, their wild younger days. And there's a real sense of them not wanting to feel like they're past their prime in this episode. Why do you think the age is you on the show resonates so well with viewers. I think there's just this great fantasy at the core of it, which is that if you're in your 40s, you can drop all your stuff, wander into Manhattan, say you're in your 20s, and and have a new life. Uh, I think everybody wants to believe they can do that to, to become somebody else. Well, in real life, you don't have the lighting that you have on this show. So yes. it's a little harder to pass as a as a 26-year-old. And you're also, 41. most people in their 40s don't look as statuesque as Sutton Foster and project a youthful glow flawlessly. <laughs> we forget all the time writing that she's not the same age as Hillary. It's it's hard to to remember that oh she has a grown-up daughter, she's had a she had 20 years where she was married to this uh, unsatisfying guy. But she has a very youthful spirit. So it's that idea of like you can change your life or restart life over at any given moment. It's so hopeful. That's what I take away from it's it. It's hopeful. It's yeah. a it's a big lie, but it's a hopeful lie. Speaking of ageism, do you guys think it's different for men than women? And if so, why? Like, I always talk about, like, an uh-oh age. Like, I feel like women have an uh-oh age, and it's different for every woman. Do men ever go, like, uh-oh, I'm blank age? Let's start with you, Andy. Uh, I think ageism and sexism are two different things. Um, but I do think it behaves differently for women, the ageism part of it. I can't articulate why, because I'm not a woman. But they both suck. That's all I've got to say. And Hollywood is so youth-oriented. I'm feeling more ageism going on in Hollywood than sexism. I think yeah, most of the shows I work on, there are so many powerful female executives and showrunners, and I'm surrounded by women telling women's stories that I don't see a lot of pervasive creative sexism, but I do see the ageist thing happening. Yeah. At, at 63, I'm the oldest person in any room in Hollywood. There, I mean, there aren't any older people than me. I'm like like gay Merlin in any room. <laughs> Just a withered crone of a man. But at, on our show, they don't care. Maybe, I don't know why they don't care. By the way, you look fabulous and that's all that matters. Thank you. Maybe they like me because when they stand next to me, they look younger. Maybe that's why I'm here. <laughs> but there is ageism. Yeah, I, I feel it. Ageism is really, is the new problem, I think, in Hollywood. And you know, when um, the Academy decided to solve their diversity problem by admitting more diverse members into it, it came off the back of the older Academy members. There was a proposal that older members should ha go before a board to see if their contribution to the movie industry was worthwhile. And if it wasn't, if this board decided these older or inactive members were no longer contributing, they would be stripped of their 
ability to vote and they would be emeritus members or something. It was, a, it was unbelievable, but that was their solution to the diversity problem is to push the old people out. And that's basically Hollywood, yeah. That's how we work out here. I think that you guys actually resolved it. I don't remember exactly what episode this season, but when um, Liza, what does she talk about? It's it's like... Age queer. Age queer. Age queer. She's like, you shouldn't ask people's ages. It's unimportant. And I do think I'd love to move to that as I you know get older. I'd love suddenly numbers not to matter. I think it could be a thing. I see it being like the next big push in media, this whole, you know, idea of being age queer. I've decided I'm age queer yeah. after watching that episode. I don't even know how old I am anymore. Exactly. Me neither. I will also say that I started really young. I directed my first thing when I was 24, and I was a knucklehead. And I'm really much better at my job now, about five times better. So the youth is overrated. But it's really fun working with the younger writers on the show. Like when the writing part of the show started to be done, you know, we had written all of our scripts and they were in various stages. We had like a film school in the writer's room. We would show movies that the the younger writers hadn't seen and talk about them. And it was it was really fun. I think there's a lot to be said, and, and I think our show is saying it, for the age groups to talk and to have a dialogue and to share what they know with each other. And we're very respectful of the different ages. Our, our characters don't make a lot of millennial jokes and they don't make a lot of old people jokes. They, they talk to each other and they respect each other. And the biggest friendship in the show is between two women who are separated by a generation. But that's the central love story of Younger is Liza, who's 42, and Kelsey, who's 26 or 27. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit because they had a mega scene this episode. Real quick, though, I want to ask you, what movies do you have the younger um, writers watch? We saw Chinatown. We saw Shampoo. We saw Sense and Sensibility, which isn't that old. No. We saw All About Eve. Mm. Well, we ha- you know, you can't write a Darren Star show without knowing All About Eve. It's shocking that there are people in that room who hadn't seen those movies. Yeah. It's dismaying it to It's me. hard to keep up with the current television. They're all watching current stuff, and there's some treasures back there. I have some things to watch this weekend. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Diana and Cheryl's cabaret performance. It was amazing. Okay, so, Don, did Miriam's Broadway chops inspire the scene, and how did it become a part of the script? Darren came in and said, if we're going to Germany, we're doing cabaret. So we, <laughs> we watched cabaret. Of course. And, you know, we, we, we listened to all the songs that uh, Liza Minnelli sang in the film and decided on this one. This was the one that was the most fun. He just wanted to do that. He wanted to see her up there doing her thing. And Andy, tell us about shooting it. Well, as I say, when I read in the script that she was going to see Vilkeman, I practically passed out because I'm a huge fan of cabaret. It's like my entire life led to this moment to do this number. You're, um, you're almost over gay in a way. I, I really am. I did a movie with that has a musical in it. I love musical theater. So I was really overqualified. I, I would have happily spent a week and several million dollars shooting a very elaborate version of this. But no, we got a great choreographer, Michelle Elkin, and we worked on the weekend, did rehearsal, found this great club. And Miriam is a great Broadway performer, as is Martha Plimpton. They've both done musical theater. So it was just effortless fun dealing with them. I wish we could have spent 
more time and more resources on it. But it's it was pretty great. I was very happy the way it came out. It was great. It was really fun to watch it being shot, and it came out beautifully. I also heard through the grapevine um, that the cast like gave them standing ovation at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did. It was heartfelt. We all did. Cast and crew, we all got on our feet. They were terrific. It was delicious. And also this season we got to see, obviously, Tony winner Sutton Foster and Broadway diva Miriam Shore both sing. So do you think that there's any chance we're going to get a musical performance from Hilary Duff maybe next season? Don? I don't know. I don't know that Kelsey is a singer. I know Hillary is, but I don't know if Kelsey, she might do a drunk karaoke. I can imagine yeah, I her doing say, that. When she's drunk. <laughs> if you give her a cocktail, Kelsey will do almost anything. There was some drinking in this episode. Yeah. That brings me to my next question. Kelsey gets very drunk at a bar. And when a German guy gets aggressive with her, Zane punches him, only to realize the next day that the guy is a really important author's rep. So Zane seems to have changed a lot since we first met him. He's actually like a decent guy, but he really can't catch a break lately. Do you think it's deserved because he was kind of like a player bad boy? Or do you think that, you know, this is like just a sweet guy, just like not being able to catch a break? Let's go to you, Andy. I just think it's uh, a karmic lesson don't punch a guy in a bar (laughs) it's probably not a good idea just generally especially in germany well from a writer's point of view if you want someone to be liked you make them suffer that's what we uh we, we feel it in the audience we identify with it and we start to root for them and we have plans for zane the love that he has for hillary has changed him he started out being a a jerk and out for what he could get but he is in love with Kelsey, and it has changed him. He's a much more substantial man. He has principles, and when he had a chance to grab a book from her, he refused to, and Charles saw that too. So I think he's growing in Charles's mind too. Charles has more respect for him than perhaps he did in the beginning. But we have plans for Zane. I have goosebumps all over my body right now. Um, And speaking of goosebumps, okay, so that emotional scene between Liza and Kelsey when Liza tells Kelsey that she has to leave the company was just epic. So, Don, tell us about writing that exchange between these two characters whose relationship is so solidly, like you said, like the literal heart of the show. This is the biggest romance. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is... uh... Mary Tyler Moore and and uh, Valerie Harper, for those of your listeners who know that show, uh, the Mary yes. Tyler Moore show. It's the central relationship of our show. We, we know that it is, and everybody in the room believes that it is. Uh, Charles is wonderful. Josh is wonderful. Maggie is wonderful. But it's Kelsey and Liza because it exemplifies the two generations working together and talking with each other. And they really, really love each other. With a big love story, you do want a farewell scene. You want the end of the way we were. You want, you want some big parting moment. And so that was one of the elements we knew we wanted in 5.11. And I'll, I'll let Andy talk about how it was to shoot that scene. But I wrote it. It was a very simple, quick scene to write. And Hillary's character, Kelsey, is desperately fighting to not make this be true, to change Liza's mind. And she's desperately trying not to. And it was a very simple scene to write. But then we shot it. So, Andy, what was it like to shoot such an emotional moment between these two in particular? It was kind of an extraordinary day. It was the first scene we were shooting towards the end of the shoot. And Don and I talked about how Hillary should be emotional in the scene. And I talked to Darren about that, too. 
And that's always always some kind of anxiety about the actor has to deliver. And as luck would have it, that day we had three cameras. So I set up for the master and two sizes on Hillary, a, a medium close-up and then a tighter close-up on her, and talked to her just briefly. I didn't want to put a lot of pressure on her that, you know, that it should be emotional. And we rolled, and the first take was just, and this never happens. Usually actors do something, they're kind of warming up, and then they do a good take, and then they do a really good take. It, it builds but she just, out of the barrel, her lips started quivering and a tear went down her cheek. And Don and I looked at each other and we were getting emotional. And it was just this beautiful, perfect take at the beginning of the day. And I thought, and then Don said, it's not going to get any better than that. And she did a few more takes, but it was really just this magical moment. And it was actually very simple. It all happened very quickly. Because Hillary is just really good. She taps into something real. She has this thing that you believe her. She's your way into the scene. She grounds everything and you like her. I don't know, she has that undefinable thing. And she just was great that day. As a fan, I was like thinking this in my mind too. I was like, is, I know it's obviously Liza and Kelsey, but is Hillary also crying for Hillary? Like being like, I'm not gonna get to spend so much time with Sutton, potentially. It's just heartbreak. You're losing something. You're breaking up. A friend is moving away. or It's just a inner universal human heartbreak. I mean, they have spent so much time together over the past five years. I'm sure that was part of what Hillary was using when she was in that scene. Yeah. My producer is crying in the studio right now listening to this. Also, I have one more question. Do you think that her being pregnant helped her tap into those emotions? Oh, I'm not going to weigh in on that. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Hillary's pregnancy and how it affects her mood. She'll love that. We'll get a nice email from her. I'll yeah. ask her that no. later on. Okay, so I have to ask you both, what were your favorite or most memorable scenes to shoot from this episode? So let's start with you, Andy. Well, uh, just pointing to the obvious, the musical number, and then that scene between Hillary and Sutton, it was just a magical moment and sad. But stuff happens in 512 that will just blow your socks off. So don't despair. Oh, we're going to get to that. That's the next question. Okay, Dom, what was your favorite or most memorable scene to shoot? Well, those two scenes, but what was the most kind of fun to watch was Cheryl doing anything, any kind of behavior, any kind of physical behavior. It was a treat to sit there and watch it. She's very, very funny. She is a real treasure. And I will say this episode was a lot of highlights. Like, there were a lot of fun scenes that weren't in between dead scenes. It was all good stuff. It was a solid episode, and I can't believe we're almost at the finale, which brings me to my last question. So this episode really set some stuff up and set some things in motion for the finale next week. The company is desperate for an investor or may have to shut down. Cheryl knows about Charles and Liza, and Liza might be going to work for Cheryl. Without giving anything away, can you give us any hints about what we might have to look forward to in the season finale? Don, let's start with you. Can I give you any hints and keep my job is yeah, the question right? <laughs> I'm turning over in my head right now. You don't want to miss 512. Everything happens. The world is turned upside down. The world of our younger characters is completely turned around. So however they start the episode, they end it in a different place altogether. That's all I'll tell you. I need a Xanax, right? This yeah. Oh, it's exciting. Okay, Andy, can you add to that? A lot happens. A lot is crammed into a half hour. And not just one thing turns upside down. A bunch of things turn upside down. There's one scene in 512 that just gave me goosebumps when I read it. 
I'm looking forward to people seeing it because it's it's a really good episode. Did you get extra time for it? I did. They at one point there was so much in 512 that Darren was going to go to TV land and try to get some more minutes. Did that happen? It is longer than most of them because there was so much stuff in the script and all of it was important. There was no filler and it doesn't have any big set pieces. It's just that so many things happen. It's very exciting. Wow, guys, hear that? We get more, which is what we've been begging for always. We're like, make it longer, make it longer. And then also, do we need a box of tissues for uh, the season finale? Yeah, I think you do. I think you need to fasten your seatbelt. Oh, God. Okay. Having an anxiety attack over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited for it, and I know everybody else is too. Thank you so much, Andy and Don, for recapping this episode with me. It was a pleasure. Thank yes, you. for us too. Thank you, Taylor. Next week is the younger season finale, and I can't believe it's already here, and I can't wait to find out where all of this is going. And whatever happens, I will be right here afterwards to unpack it all. I'm Taylor Schrecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. <laughs>